Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go in our Bibles to Psalm 132. If you did not pick up a worship guide, they're throughout the building. You can also access them on our homepage, on the bottom of the very homepage of our church website. It is good to see each and every one of you this morning as we worship the Lord together. I want to encourage you to have a Bible, have your app, uh, have something there with you. Take notes and engage in the message as we're covering through... The Chronicles, Kings, and Samuel, we're working through the different accounts. I'm not just saying in one of those sections because it helps give us the full spectrum of what God did through his people to bring a place for our worship to him and bring a person, and that's Jesus. These are songs for the road. We've been in the Psalms of Ascent throughout the summer and we will finish them here in the coming weeks. Last week we began Psalm 132, and quickly I realized there was no way we were going to cover this psalm in one week. And then I found out this week there's no way we're going to cover the psalm in two weeks, so God willing we will conclude. The psalm really breaks down into three sections, and we saw the first section last Sunday, that God, this prayer, Lord, remember for David. Remember in, David, in David's favor. And then what we will see today is an action, act for David. And then next week, God willing, fulfill all your covenant. Fulfill all your promises to David. Everything that you said, do this. And God emphatically comes through on all of his promises. In Psalm 132, we see that God's salvation is coming through a place, through a person, And it's Jesus, a descendant of David. It's available to anyone everywhere. This message is for all people, all ethnicities. No matter what continent you live on, no matter how old you are, there is a message of salvation, and it's in Jesus. But it's exclusive. The only way to be made right with God is through Jesus, the descendant of David. There, isn't, there aren't many ways to God. There is only one way to God, but he, beloved, has made a way. Amen? We're thankful for that as we worship the Lord this morning. Psalm 132, the psalmist says, Remember, O Lord. And I, I believe this is Solomon. And I believe it fits at the dedication of the temple. And he is saying, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jer. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant, David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath. From which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This is the word of the Lord. Last Sunday, we began in Psalm 
132, we looked at the first seven verses, unpacking this aspect of what is the universal significance of God's covenant with David in Mount Zion. Trying to understand this, what, what is my share in David? Here we live in, you know, Richmond or in and around Richmond, Michigan. What do I have to do with Zion? What do I have to do with Jerusalem? What do I have to do with David and his descendants? Does this matter to me? Is this important to me or not? And we saw last week David's legacy. In those first seven verses, we see that he exalted the Lord. So we saw this prayer for David that the Lord was to remember in David's favor. And we saw how he suffered. He endured hardships. And he was dedicated. He devoted himself to the house of the Lord. And then he was told, no. I'm going to build a house for the Lord. I swear, I promise, I'm not going to rest until... And the Lord says, no, Nathan, go back. Tell him he cannot. His hands are too filled with bloodshed. But his son, I will build his house. His son will build this house. I will build his house. And now he's talking, he's not talking, the Lord's not talking about bricks and mortar and two-befores and shingles. He's talking about a legacy, a heritage, a lineage through which would come Jesus, Messiah. Oh, this is good news. Today, in verses 8, 9, and 10, we're going to see David's people. David's people, they worshipped the Lord. They were worshipers of the true and living God. And so it's centered around in this psalm, and as I said last week, this is the only place in the book of Psalms where we see the Ark of the Covenant mentioned. So it's important that we understand what is the background for us. We're not very familiar. Um, I said it in the first service, for most of us, probably Indiana Jones and the, the Lost Ark is about the extent of what we think uh, not know what we think about the Ark of the Covenant. So let's, we're going to use scripture and let that inform us rather than um, Steven Spielberg's account of what he was thinking about the Ark of the Covenant, okay? So the, the Ark was brought into the place, and so this fits the inauguration. When they brought the ark up into the temple, it had gone through all of these steps. So we're focusing on when the ark went from out in the woods after it came back from the Philistines, sat out there for a hundred years. Then David goes and he tries to bring the ark up and he fails. He gets right with God. He does things God's way. Then he brings it up to the tent that he created, that he made for the, that, the ark of the Lord in the city of David, in Zion. And then Solomon is the one who brings the ark up from the city of David into the temple, a little higher in elevation in Jerusalem. So it fits with the Psalms of Ascent, stair, stair steps, moving up. Everything's leading up, and we're coming to the culmination of these Psalms. This is a cause for a great celebration. It's wonderful and May God bring and hasten the day when we put a shovel in the ground on 30 and Forest and say, this is the place where we're going to build that we may worship the Lord and reach a wide part of our community in the metro area. But there's a better day, and that's when you cut the ribbon. When you build a house and someone hands you the keys and they say, now you can go in, it's ready for you. And that's this day, Psalm 132. I believe that's the day when they're dedicating the temple and they would forever remember what God did. And so the people are just following the leader. David was a worshiper and people followed David and Solomon became a worshiper and people are following. So the verse says in verse eight, arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. We've prepared it, now come fill this place. It wouldn't contain the Lord, but they were ready the presence of the Lord, to take up his inhabitation there in the temple. God's people, he's worshipers. If you're a worshiper this morning, it's because you've been formed by God. God is the one who forms worshipers. God's people are formed. The Lord created man in his own image to display his glory and to enjoy him. So in the garden, in God's sovereign and free grace, he made Adam formed him from the ground, took time, took care. Plato made a man, breathed life into him. And then God rested. Doesn't mean he was tired like you and me when we get tired. 
He rested, and that is in joy. I want to take in what's been made. I want to enjoy, and God would come and walk in the cool of the day with Adam and with Eve. But what happened? Sin broke that fellowship. Sin broke that and put a breach in that relationship. And so God's plan of redemption began to unfold. And in the book of Genesis, we see the line of promise. It narrows down Adam and Eve, and, and we're, we're listening to the three sons, Cain and Abel. Abel's killed. Cain's a murderer. And then comes Seth, and the line of redemption moves down. It's in Luke chapter 3, the genealogy of Christ. We get to Noah, and God starts everything over with Noah and his family. And through Noah's son, Shem, this plan of redemption, this line of redemption is narrowed down. So that when anyone turns to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, they become a new creation. God's people are formed. Worshippers are formed. And then there was a man named Abram. And in Genesis chapter 12, there's a promise that the Lord God gives to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, that was before the Lord changed his name, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is an unconditional covenant that the Lord made with Abram. He promised, through you is coming a blessing for all people. Now, in the Old Testament, the Lord delivered Israel from Egypt. By the hand of Moses, that's the book of Exodus. The Lord brought his people into the land of Canaan by the hand of Joshua. We see that, and we'll look at that a little bit in the book of Joshua. And then later on in the Old Testament, the Lord has chosen this place, this temple, this site, chosen by God. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 16, the Lord says, For now I have chosen and consecrated this house, that my name may be there forever, my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. It was the Lord's choosing. That God sovereignly is superintending over all of this. In the New Testament, how do we come into being a worshiper? Is this something we just wake up to and and, and strive for and win and accomplish or buy? No. Jesus says in John 15 and verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. It's not us coming to him. It's he came and found, if you're in Christ, he found you. He's sovereign. It's not you trying to hold on to faith. I need to hold on to God. It's the confidence that comes if he formed you and then reformed you, gave you life. He's holding on to you. You can rest assured in the promises of God. God's people, true worshipers, are formed. We also see that worshipers follow. Remember what Jesus said? My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Worshipers follow, and wherever the Lord guided Israel in the Old Testament by his manifested presence, he guided them, and they followed through the wilderness. Today, he guides his people by his word and by his spirit. In the Old Testament, the Lord guided his people, cloud by day, fire by night. If you will, go back with me to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Exodus chapter 40. We see the dedication of the tabernacle that that Moses built. Exodus chapter 40, and beginning in... Verse 19, and he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark. Okay, that's the commandments. And put poles, the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen. 
and screened the ark of the testimony. So there's a separation as the Lord had commanded Moses. So there's a separation between where the presence of the Lord was there. Now look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. There's a picture that will come on the screen of the tabernacle, an artist's rendition of the tabernacle that Moses constructed. This was a dwelling place. It was a physical representation of all the people of Israel were traveling, living in tents, and God is saying, I want to be with you. Genesis walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. I want to be with you. I'm going to make a way because how will we be in the presence of the living God and survive? He made a way. And it's through the tabernacle. It's through the screens. It's through the separation. You can't just walk in here. I mean, you cannot walk into some CEO's office. I'm here. I just want to look at it. I just want to sit behind. I want to see if your chair spins. I'm going to just check that out if you don't mind. Who are you? A pastor. Security. (laughs) Get him out of here. How will you come into the presence of the God who spoke and galaxies came out of his mouth? Now just think about that. He has to make a way. So he did. He made a way. A picture will come up of the Ark of the Covenant, an artist's rendition that we just read of. And on it you see the mercy seat and you see the the seraphim, their wings and their bowing and representing the holiness of the Lord and his word inside and we need mercy. And so God is through this giving a picture of I'm with you and I'm for you. I'm making a way for you, but you need mercy. God is holy. We are sinners and the way is coming. So all of the sacrifices that would be done and once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat knowing that an animal died for our sins to be covered And then Hebrews tells us that when Jesus came, he went into the Holy of Holies with his own blood. And he purchased our salvation and cleansed and washed away so that he offered himself for sinners. And then when he died, it is finished, he said on the cross. And what happened to that veil of separation? It was torn from God to man and it was separated that there was access to the Holy of Holies, but it wasn't through that object. It was through Jesus that that object was looking to. The living word, God in flesh. John Calvin says this. He says the Ark of the Covenant was designed to be a visible emblem of his power and grace being present among them. Power, but grace, mercy, love to make peace with us. So when, then, when uh, Joshua led the way into Canaan, as uh, Joshua unfolds after Moses has passed off the scene, all right, Deuteronomy, Joshua, right before Judges, in Joshua chapter 3, we see that the Ark of the Covenant takes a prominent place in all of the people following the Ark of the Covenant. On the other side of the Jordan River, the enemy nations, and they're wondering what is going to happen when these people, how are they going to get here? Don't worry. The Jordan's flooded. They can't cross the Jordan. But have you heard about these people 40 years ago coming out of Egypt and the Red Sea? We've heard about it, but we don't know about it. Even people in Israel, well, I was little when that happened, or I've never heard of it. They were born in that 40 years. They didn't know what God did for them. They heard about it, but they didn't see it. And there they are on the Jordan. In Joshua chapter 3, here's the account. Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went throughout the camp. 
and commanded the people, as soon as you see, here it is, the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Okay, God's doing something new. Follow him. Verse five, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And you remember, in those next verses, they had to go out into the Jordan, walk into the Jordan. And verse 17 says, now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, those are the ones who were supposed to be carrying it, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. An artist's rendition of this, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they were commanded, go out into the Jordan, by faith, obey. And so they took God at his word, and those priests, when their feet were all in the water, all right, this commitment, all in. God is not interested in, well, I'll try this out and see how it goes and see if it works out. And, but really, I'm going to keep my own you know, resources and my own wisdom. I'm going to keep that intact, but I'm going to try this. No, no. He's saying, all in. And those priests went all in the water. And when they got all in the water, then God's word was confirmed. And the, t- and the wave just, the, it just begins building up. And all the Jordan. And now put yourself in the position of those living in Jericho and the Canaanites, and suddenly the water is parted just like the Lord parted the Red Sea, and the whole nation of Israel is walking across on dry ground. They get to Jericho, Joshua chapter 6, and the Lord says, here's what I want. My ark is going to go out in front of the people, and you're going to put a guard, and you're going to put the the priests, and they're going to be blowing ram's horns, and then you're going to put the ark, and then you're going to put the, the rear guard, and then all the people you follow. This is, this is the presence of the Lord. And they would march around the city one time, and for seven days, and on the seventh day, they go around seven times, and they aren't talking. They're not saying anything. But the, the horns are blowing. And on the seventh day, then comes the command. When Joshua gives the command, everyone shout. And the walls will fall. And on the seventh day, seventh time around, Ark of the Covenant leading this. So put yourself in the position of on the wall, and you're watching people walk around following the object, somewhat we looked at a little bit ago, the Ark. Imagine what they would be thinking about the power in that particular object. They shout, the walls fall, they go in. The section remains where Rahab, the harlot, lives. She's saved. She's rescued alive. But when they go to Ai, there's no command given from the Lord, take the ark. The power is not in the ark. The power is in the God whose presence dwells in the ark for the people of Israel. You have to remember that when they said, go get the ark and let's go, let's go beat the Philistines. And then they lost, and the Philistines took the ark. Like, what happened? Israel missed it. Now the ark is being, in Psalm 132, brought up to the temple by Solomon. So he says, arise, O Lord, and go. Take up your residence in your resting place, you and the ark of your might, the ark of your holiness. So, beloved, God's people, these worshipers are formed. They follow, but we don't follow perfectly. We fail. That's the next thing we see. Worshippers fail. Whenever we try to worship God our way, we fail. Whenever we try to blend our own thoughts, our ideas, we fail. Verse 9 says, let your priests be clothed with righteousness. And let your saints, these merciful ones, let them shout for joy. Why would we shout for joy? Because we've been shown mercy. We have a reason to shout. We have a reason to sing and clap our hands and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. He's good, his love endures forever. So the history of Israel, the history of God's people, as we read our Bibles and as we think about our own lives, it often looks like this, righteousness that comes from the Lord, okay? 
He gives it to us that we're saved, we're redeemed, we're cleansed from our sin. When a sinner turns from their sin and they trust in Christ, they believe in the Lord and righteousness is given from God. But then sadly comes rebellion. Like the golden calf. Moses is on the hill, Mount Mount Sinai. We don't know what happened to Moses. Aaron, make for us a golden calf. There's rebellion. Then comes from the Lord a rebuke because he loves them. Because he loves you. He'll send someone to you. His own spirit, his word to say, what are you doing? You need to stop. Repent. Turn back. Strong messages would come from the prophets. Warnings of judgment. At times, severe punishment would come. Plagues, pestilence, even enemies. And then, so many times, God's people would repent. And they would realize what we've done is wrong. And we, they would turn back to the Lord and they would find themselves restored by Yahweh like a broken bone when it's healed. Anybody ever broke a bone? You're ready for it to be restored. Yeah, we got a thumbs up right there, yeah? Waiting to hear it. It's good. It's healed properly. It's painful. The process of healing. And don't think that this is like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Oh, I keep, oh, sorry, Lord. That's not genuine repentance. But to be restored leads to a place where once again, the people of God are rejoicing. Now, as we look at that curve, do you see that in your life? In in an overarching way, you came to faith in Christ. Has there been a point where you kind of wandered and and came back? But really, isn't this almost daily in our lives at times where we forget God and start to try to do things on our own and his word goes unread. It just stays off to the side or our time in prayer dwindles and we just try to keep doing it on our own. I'll work it out myself. And we forget God. He is so faithful. He is so faithful. In Leviticus chapter 10, when the tabernacle that Moses had built, is dedicated. This fits so well with the music that we sang today, that the presence of the Lord. And Aaron's sons, Leviticus 10, verse 1, this is the inauguration of the tabernacle. Okay, so Psalm 132, it's in that, that's in the history. Psalm 132, the dedication of the temple. What happened when the When the tabernacle was dedicated, God's presence filled it. But look what happened in this rebellion. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on, on it, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. They're trying to worship God their way. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. This is sobering. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And their father, Aaron, held his peace. When somebody corrects your kids, do you enjoy that? Aaron holds his tongue. He holds his peace. Verse 10, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common. This is God's word to the priests. And between the unclean and the clean. Verse 11, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. So last week, and we're going to see it here in a minute, when David goes to get the Ark of the Covenant and he tries to do it his way, go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. The job of the priests was to teach the people of God the ways of God. When we get to 2 Samuel chapter 6, we have to ask ourselves, what happened? Why didn't they know this? Why didn't the king know this? The king was supposed to have his own record. He was supposed to write a copy. He should have written the account. Joshua and the ark and the priests bear the ark. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, 
We touched on this last week. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, verse 1, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. Okay, this is after the account where it was stolen by the Philistines. They lost, the Israelites lost, and then it comes back over the hillside. It's been out in the country a hundred years. And verse 3 says, and they carried the ark of God, uh-oh, man's way, the Philistines' way, on a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the cart. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets, little noisemakers and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry. Remember Aaron? Held his tongue. David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day when when 2 Samuel was written. That's still what it was called. Verse 9, and David was afraid of the Lord that day. There's There's a brokenness now in the fellowship. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord, his presence, how can it come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed Edom, the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Three months, the ark is out there in this house. And David failed. And David was angry with God. Well, how is this going to work out? God's people, we fail, and we need forgiveness. Worshipers need forgiveness through repentance, through faith. In God's provision, we receive the cleansing that comes from the Lord. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints, the merciful ones, shout for joy. How is David gonna shout for joy? Understand how that day turned so quickly. People are celebrating The music is loud. It's just joy. The ark is on the cart. The ox stumbles. Uzzah grabs. I'm going to help the Lord my way. And he's killed. And suddenly, throughout all of the 30,000 plus people, the music stops. Everything grinds to a halt. And there's someone dead. And David is taking this personally because it happened on his watch. And he failed and a man died. And he's angry with God. What does David need? Forgiveness. David entered into three months of soul searching to figure out what went wrong. Everything that I set out to do and it all failed and I I lost face in front of the people and Uzzah lost his life and he had to go back to the word of God. He had to go back to the basics. What were we supposed to do? Who's supposed to carry the... Ark of the Covenant, the priests. The priests should have known this. The king should have known this. Repentance, beloved, is a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's a change of action. It's so much more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's a complete change that when they show up three months later, they're not functioning the same way that they were the day that Uzzah died. When we receive forgiveness, when we give freely forgiveness, that's our pathway to freedom and reconciliation. To be reunited again. Psalm 51, David would write after his horrific sin with Bathsheba and what he did and the strings that he pulled and the commands that he gave that Uriah would be put to death in battle and other men died that day in battle because of the the failed strategy that the leader put in place. In Psalm 51, David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He's admitting, I'm wrong and I need you and you're right and you're righteous. When Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, John 13, you remember how that unfolded? And he got, to, he got around to Peter and Peter's like, oh, no, no, you're not gonna wash my feet. He's embarrassed, I should have done this. And Jesus says to Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Verse 9, Peter pipes up. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed. Okay, now there he's talking about you belong to me. You believe in me. You've trusted in me. Does not need to wash except for his feet but it's completely clean. Peter, your feet are dirty. You've been walking in dirty streets. But then Jesus makes this point, and you are clean, but listen up, not every one of you. Now, Jesus was speaking specifically of Judas. As we read this today, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's the question. If you've been washed, then you don't need to keep coming back. Oh, Lord, please save me. And the next day, oh, Lord, please save me. And please save me. And please save me. If you've been saved, Peter's saying, Jesus is saying to Peter, you have been redeemed. Your feet are dirty. So when John the Apostle would write 1 John 1, 7, he's talking about, in verse 7, the initial cleansing for our salvation, that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, here it is, cleanses us from all sin. That's the when a sinner turns and trusts in the Lord. They are clean, forgiven, justified, adopted. That's a one-time, not repeatable, and never-ending conversion. 1 John 1, 9, what about the dirty feet of Peter? What about as we walk through this world and we think improper thoughts and we talk improperly, we say things we shouldn't say, we do things that we shouldn't do, we don't glorify God in the way. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is sanctification. That's the continual cleansing that we need as we are set apart. Have you been saved? And let me ask you this question, Christian. Are you a confessing one? Are we constantly before the Lord confessing our sin? Keeping a short sin account. Spurgeon says it this way. He says, where righteousness is the clothing, joy may well be the occupation. When I'm right with God, that is the only way I can be right with you. You have to evaluate. If there's always something wrong in human relationships, what is it? How are we with God? Are we right with God? If I'm right with God, that makes the way. It doesn't guarantee that I'll be right with everybody, but that is the way to be right and to have fellowship and to be restored, to be reconciled. And that leads us to fellowship that worshipers enjoy fellowship. We enjoy fellowship that John the Apostle was talking about, fellowship with God, fellowship with his people. That if, as they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, there's fellowship, God with man. That's the name Emmanuel, God with us. So they repented. They worshiped God God's way. And this is where we have fellowship with God and also with his people. And we're gonna see that when we get to Psalm 133, if we ever get there, okay? David, when he brought the ark, so let's go back, to, but we're not going to go back to, to 2 Samuel. We're going to go to 1 Chronicles and see a parallel account. 1 Chronicles chapter 15. In 1 Chronicles 15, we have the record. Same account. Obed-Edom, the ark is in his house. God's blessing the house of Obed-Edom. David says, now let's do things God's way. And the people followed. They rejoiced to follow. 2 Chronicles 15, verse 25, So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant from the, of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with, here it is again, rejoicing. David is able to say, strike up the band again. 
Let's do this again. Remember what the psalm said? If the, oh, Lord, if you should mark out iniquities, who would stand? If the Lord just struck down David and everybody else that day, would the Lord have been just and right, and right to do that? Yes, but he didn't. Uzzah lost his life for grabbing on to the ark of God. That is not a token, and it's not a rabbit's foot. It's the presence expressed among his people. You can't do that. You have to understand who this God is. He's worthy of our worship. He's magnificent. And so now there's rejoicing in verse 26. And because God helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark and the singers and Kenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers. You think about our Kenaniah. We have a Kenaniah in our church, right? Ethan and Katz, little Kenaniah. When they named him Kenaniah and I dug it, where's this word? I think I have in mind what, what they have in mind for their little man. That one day he's going to be here with a guitar leading, saying, sing and let's worship the Lord together. Kenaniah, the leader of the music of the singers, and David wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant to the, of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets, and cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. And somebody said, you got to turn it down, it's too loud. That's not written there, but I bet you somebody, I don't think so. They enjoyed this day. And as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David dancing and celebrating, and she didn't have the same response as everybody else. She wasn't there with the people. She was an onlooker, a spectator, and she despised him in her heart. But look at 16.1. And they brought in the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. This is a day of fellowship. This is a day of blessing. So verse 10 says in Psalm 132, for the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. When you think about Michael and she's looking and she sees David celebrating, dancing, shouting, acting like in her estimation, a fool. You're a king. My dad never did that. You're acting like a fool. And she turned away. She turned away her face. This is disgusting. This is despicable. What about my reputation? But listen to what the Lord promised when a later king, a descendant of David, Hezekiah, would be faced against an insurmountable en enemy. And what does the Lord say? He says, I've got this fight, Hezekiah. And through Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah 37, 35, the Lord says, for I will defend this city, Jerusalem, to save it. Why? Now watch this. For my own sake, Jehovah says, and for the sake of my servant David, you see what the Lord did there? I'm going to do it for David's sake. This is an answer to prayer for the sake of your servant David. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. And when Hezekiah prays, the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to do this for my own name, and I'm going to do this for the name of David. I will not fail his house. God is so good. Now let's see the culmination. Go to 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8, when they bring, David brought it, the ark all the way up into the tent. I'm going to build a house. It says right after that, no, you cannot build a house. You've been too violent. Okay, well, then I'm going I'm to give everything I can, and I'm going to prepare everything I can so that my son will build a house. And then he dies, and Solomon builds the house, and we come to the dedication, 1 Kings chapter 8. We'll also see it's, it's 2 Chronicles 5, 6, and 7, this dedication. 1 Kings chapter 8, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel, before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, where was it? The city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. Hmm, who's, who's carrying it now? Not a cart, not oxen, the priests. They learned. They took up the ark. Verse 4, and they brought up the ark of the Lord 
the tent of meeting and all the holy vessels that were in the tent, the priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they couldn't not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. When this was written, they were still there. Verse 9, there was nothing in the ark except two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. God's presence, his glory in the cloud, it filled the house. Now go with me to 2 Chronicles. All right, the other account, 2 Chronicles 5 and 6, and we get to 7, and Solomon prays, and he dedicates this. Listen to what the Lord does. All right, so listen to the, the power and the presence of the Lord manifested in this place. This is the pinnacle of Israel's worship through all their history. This is the high point. From here, they're going downward in a spiral. All that's been done, God has led them out of Egypt, through the promised land, across the Jordan, conquered Canaan, the tent, the tabernacle, and now there's a temple built, and now they're bringing this Ark of the Covenant, presence of the Lord, and they're dedicating, and they're singing, and they're rejoicing. And verse 7, or chapter 7, 2 Chronicles, verse 1, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord filled the house, filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple what is the response of worshipers? They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, read it with me, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. They're worshipers. There's a picture that'll come on the screen of an artist's rendition of uh, Solomon's temple. It's a permanent structure, beautiful, amazing structure, a, a permanent dwelling, they believe. This is it. We've reached the high point. This is it. This is the pinnacle. But sadly, the people would rebel, forget God, and go off into rebellion. And we've been talking about that. The kingdom would be, would be divided and in 2 Chronicles 7.14, Solomon, in this prayer, after his prayer, the Lord responds, and he says this, and this is instructive for Israel, but it's also helpful for us. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then the Lord says, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. As the people of God, we are not Israelites. We're not going to go to Jerusalem and worship. But we worship the God that chose this place and chose David and sent Jesus Messiah. Do we readily humble ourselves? Are we concerned about turning from our wicked ways that God will hear and answer our prayers and revive us? So David's people are worshipers. We saw this morning in this message, they're formed. God forms them. They follow, follow after the Lord. They fail, I fail. If you're honest, you'll admit 
Yeah, I fail. We need forgiveness and we receive it from the Lord. We enjoy fellowship. When we're forgiven, we're washed, we're made new. We enjoy the fellowship with God and fellowship with his people. We enjoy that. So what about our next steps? Reflect on these questions, discuss them, and apply them, all right? That's my aim with these questions. Let me, let me ask us this, all right? What helps me to worship God from today's study? When you think about the ground that we covered this morning, what helps you worship God? Secondly is this, how have I attempted to serve God on my own? My own way, Frank Sinatra's way. I did it my way. Do you know how many people approach God my way? And if God won't receive that, then he's not worthy of me. Oh, we need to be humble before the Lord. And the last question is this, one step that I will take to grow in glorifying and enjoying God. What is the step that you need to take today? Take that step. Take that step. We're going to sing I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and then we're going to, there's a video that Corey Fifield has shared with us, and then Russell received the offering. Uh, God has been so good, he's so faithful. But it required the death of Jesus for us to be forgiven. That is the significant point of all that we've studied, the presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us, and in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus born of a virgin, live the life that you and I can never live, to die the death that you and I deserve to die. And in his dying and resurrection, he defeated the enemy we could never win against so that we could be given life that never ends. Do you have this share in David? There's no greater question. Do not pass go. Don't care about $200 until you have that settled. Have you received and experienced the Father's love for you? Will you stand with me? Father, thank you for your love displayed in Christ. Thank you for your faithfulness displayed throughout your word and throughout the generations. Oh, we can trust you and we ought to trust you. So may today those who belong to you rejoice in the salvation you have given. May those who have never trusted in you turn and trust in you today and find forgiveness of sins in Jesus of Nazareth, in whose name we pray for his glory. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at MyGraceChurch. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.